Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Learn With Wolves show. Uh, today, we are joined with Murat. He is the founder of Antiverse. If you check out antiverse.io, you can get his website right away. Today, we go over a variety of topics ranging from how he completed his, you know, two-year-long trudge of a raise. You know, most people, they say that you have to do it within six months or it doesn't work out. Uh, Murat, as many people know, the last time he was on, he was looking to do his raise, and that was about two years ago. And he recently recently completed it. So, I mean, that's, you know, a good two years to do it, but he persevered. He got through it. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about hiring. We talk about software engineers, machine learning, getting into biotechnology, uh, some hints at some results that he's made, that he has coming out and uh, much more. So if you like this type of thing, like subscribe to all those types of things. We're everywhere that podcasts can be found. We also have little clips of the show going up. Uh, so you should be seeing that as well. The long form will always be welcome and found on the website, learnwithlol.com and iTunes, wherever you want to go to listen to podcasts. And in fact, if we're not somewhere that, that you listen to, just let me know and I'll get us on there. It's not a big deal. So without further ado, let's get into this. Well, welcome to Learn Little Show. Today we have Marat, uh, which should sound familiar because he was on the show a couple of years ago. Um, the last time we spoke, you were trying to uh, complete a raise. And uh, uh, just as like a, a, a preamble, uh, since it's been a couple of years for my listeners, what <laughs> what are some of the big things that have happened that you've accomplished or that have, um, yeah, what are some of the big things that people not following along with love, that you'd love to share? Yeah. Uh, the Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, the last time we talked, I think it was 2018. We a, yeah, we were at a pretty tough spot. Uh, we were running out of money and a couple of months, I think, after I talked to you, we, um, we lost our one of our co-founders. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was at the same time, investors started to question a little bit about the, I think, the future of the company, right? Uh, we were getting some traction, but mostly we were saying, look, we are in the biotech field. We can do cool things with machine learning, but not sure what can do so many different things and there wasn't much of a focus. So no revenue, no product, no product market fit, losing a founder, trying to co-founder and trying to do a race didn't go, <laughs> didn't go that well. Mm-hmm. But we finally got there. We finally got there. Um, and I think the turning point was uh, we identified a pain that we can solve immediately that show short-term value to pharma. So we became post-revenue. We signed a couple of contracts after that. And then many months later, we closed a, a funding round. So since then, we raised about 2 million pounds. How did, how did you f- identify the pain point? Uh, I think it was a mixture of... Um, it's mostly through coming through the customer conversations, to be honest. So we were talking to biotechs, pharma, CROs, and so on, and trying to find the... Uh, um, almost having a tool set, right? And saying that, oh, you know, it applies to discovery, it applies to optimization, it applies to a hundred different parts. And we were then telling, look, which one excites you more? And then uh, after I think so many conversations that a pattern emerged and we said, uh-huh, you know, this is a bit maybe we can do. And we weren't sure that whether we can do it or not. And it is, it's a process improvement. And for people who doesn't know how the antibody discovery world works, um, normally you have a target associated with the disease, let's say cancer, 
and then this is a molecule. You have this molecule in your hand, and then you screen a list of compounds that has the drug properties. Let's say it's in a very, very simple way and mm -hmm. oversimplified. Um, but that screening process has a lot of biases in it. And, and it's very, very um, actually information rich. So he thought, look, we can look at this process and optimize it. And we can identify everything that's happening in that process, uh, account for biases and correct for them and identify all these diverse components, um, how hidden they are, it doesn't matter how hidden they are, and then give it to the customers. So that, that, that seemed to work. It resonated with a lot of people. It reduces their risk overall of running these discovery campaigns. It increases their profit if they are a contract research organization doing this kind of project on behalf of pharma because they are more successful suddenly. And, uh, and yeah, that was the turning point for Antipers. Did, was there like a, was there a particular aha moment where like everyone was sitting around the table after these customer meetings where you were, you know, putting the information out there to refine it, to find this pain point that you, that you just described? Um, was like one specific moment where it all came together? <laughs> like like a slow gradual of sentience like just slowly over time it's like and then it just like oh this is the inevitable uh yeah i i think you have to align a lot of stuff so the the problem we are solving is particular to a certain group of projects so we had to then you know have enough of those conversations mm -hmm. to first of all narrow this down and then um we, we know that there are so many different problems with this drug discovery and optimization process but uh most of them are out of touch right you it's it's very very difficult technically very challenging stuff so we weren't really sure whether we could do this or not but i think there was a moment where we were doing a lot of internal development and trying these different things you know can we sort actually can we identify diverse antibodies in a play example and can we do that in a for optimization, can we do this and other? And now finally, we noticed that actually we can. We can really find those diverse antibodies in a small sample data set. And then we gathered and generated more data and we, we showed to ourselves first that we can really do this time after time. And then I think with that confidence, we pushed the conversations in that direction a little bit. With that conviction, we asked, you know, is this something valuable for you? Because we can definitely do it. And the last conversation we had with you, you guys said that, you know, you would, you would appreciate having that feature. And then it kind of all came together. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we're talking about this in the preamble, um, but you, you've got some, out, like I wouldn't call it outside validation, but like you've, you've done some testing outside of like the prototyping phase and you, mm -hmm. um, the extent that you feel comfortable sharing that <laughs> if you want to tell us like <laughs> uh like kind of like uh how'd it go and um and uh that type of process in terms of getting validation outside of just doing it yourself like you know showing like in the small, small sample size like hey we can do it and you got someone to believe in you and then they kind of do it on their side a little bit yeah i i think that's one of the biggest problems with the biotech companies right it's a big catch to win it too you go to pharma you say that you know i can do this super cool thing and they say okay, you know, show me another company which this worked. And you say, well, you will be the first one. <laughs> they say, oh, maybe, you know, you go, you 
figure it out or do more internal tests and come back. But we finally had somebody who saw all the data we generated so far and had that, uh, I think, decision-making power as well and a certain budget who said, okay, I think, I think there is something here. Um, this definitely aligns with the overall company's strategy to utilize drug discovery and uh, optimization. So why don't we do a pilot project together? So uh, it was a good moment. Then we agreed to a, a, a project with very clear defined success criteria. And we, we thought that, yes, we can reach that one. The structure that we went about it, uh, it took about a year to complete, but they are very, very happy with the results. We said what we can do and actually over execute that one. And it was identifying, again, these diverse antibodies three times more than anybody else could in, in the same discovery project. Um, maybe a word of caution there. Uh, we've done so many pilot projects before, but, and most of them were free. And then something happens with free pilot projects with pharma. Um, they go through restructuring, right? And these free projects always get deprioritized over time if it's not mm -hmm. you know, being wrapped up in a month or, or something like that. And um, yeah, we left with many uncomplete pilot projects too so this one so around this time we were uh, we knew what we were doing we said look we we way past that point we know that this works and we will charge you this much for it and yes there is a little bit of risk so why don't we push that risk towards to uh, success fee so you do some upfront payment you do some success fee and that's how we structured that one mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense the and I almost every field I can think of there, a lot of people tend to just do things for free to like get the experience of it, um, to validate what they're doing. But the, what I found, and I think that's what you're seeing as well. It's like, people don't really, uh, like so everyone's going to like say, Oh sure. Yeah. Free thing. Right. Like who cares? Um, but then they'll deprioritize it. They'll, you know, wake up late and you know, not do their part or whatever, or just not go. And then when you go to like the, validating like all right now we have the results uh do you want to pay for it? like oh no but we just got free or whatever um so as soon as possible like to 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 know that you have something and then have people pay for it like they just they're literally more invested in it <laughs> true just it's like, a it's a token of commitment right it's not yeah. only money for them so that i think that aspect of a commercial term is really useful mm -hmm. yeah and imagine um I don't know if, the, if you found this to be true, but I imagine a lot of startups try the like the like the free model when they're doing working with biotech because they, they don't have much leverage. Um, and so I, I guess with what you're finding is is did did I guess did doing the them for free and even though they failed teach you enough so that you can do this one really successfully? Or do you think like going backwards if you just put the price, you know, if you built a structure in place and you, you stood up for it, that it would have worked out. Um in the other areas as well or did you like basically did you gain anything that you needed from doing those free failures I, I, free failures as well yeah, call it, just yeah. For sure. <laughs> no no you definitely i mean you definitely learn from every experience you you have as a startup founder but i think we could either filter those opportunities better if you pushed for some payment yeah or we could already um put a framework in place for people to think what the next steps are. Mm -hmm. 
because sometimes you complete such a pilot project and then you come together and people say so what you know like what's next okay it's a scientific curiosity and thanks for itching you know scratching that but okay uh, you know there is no natural next step yeah and uh, but if money is involved then people really start to think about okay what are these guys really delivering right now right uh how am i gonna sell this thing to my boss yeah. is it gonna help the whole department then the serious questions come in and it forces them to think about it and answer them and then it changes the dynamic of the relationship and the structure of the project uh i'm curious if you found this because i found it in my own life um like the additionally the quality of their feedback improves like when it's when it's freer they're just talking like a lot of people sometimes will just be like this is it's nice you know supportive you know like but then as soon as you put a dollar it's like well you know gotta think about this it's like okay well did you really need it are you just saying that because like you could do the free thing and they could say like oh i need it i need it this is exactly what i want and then you go to like you know like you're saying all right well we did this thing and then the next step was doing this let's do it it's like oh i guess you know i i didn't i didn't really need it or like they'll just kind of like they'll slow know you to the point where like you just kind of like are responding to emails and stuff like that um but I, i'm curious if the like the, the, the quality of the conversation changed. And if maybe that tied into you getting all the feedback you needed to build the product, like find that pain point. If, if, if like, if the, you changed your approach to having pay be a part of it, um, also coincided with you finding that pain point faster. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. We would probably wasting our energy elsewhere if we weren't pushing for that for sure. Yeah. Because look, you're a biotech company, you definitely have an interesting technology with multiple applications and it's solving tiny, tiny problems for individuals in large organizations. And then they want to help you. They are really interested in like nobody has bad intentions, but then you know that there's no commercial terms associated with it. And, you know, as a startup, you have to somehow show that commercial traction, you need to show revenue, you need to show that people are signing contracts with certain obligations and none of that happens without it so yeah it was a lesson that we learned i think too late mm -hmm. but um it wasn't late enough so the company yeah. still is around <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say but but not too too late you know because yeah. uh, you're able to uh, turn around um other than finding the pain point um and getting your first real you know pilot program feedback when you went above and beyond in every regard were there other highs <laughs> it sounds like it almost kind of sounds like you were like in the desert for the last couple of years just like kind of finding your way but i'm curious mm -hmm. if there were other high moments as well um akin to like finding that pain point for the last couple of years um other than that i think we managed to set up a very good team mm -hmm. um it's machine learning engineers uh fetch display scientists all working together and everybody speaks the same language. So I always like to say that we are hiring people who can pipette and Python with the same efficiency, uh, proficiency. And um, the, so that was a big one. We were in a shared lab space. Uh, we moved away from that, uh, built our own office and lab in Cardiff. So that was a big logistical change. We build a, our, our own lab, which means that we are now data independent. We can generate as much as data we want, and we can also, you know, 
you generate data, you build your machine learning models, you make some predictions, hopefully some antibodies that binds to this disease-related target and have some function. And then you can also test it, right? Which means that you can close that loop without being dependent on anybody else. And that really speeds up the R&D. I'm super happy and proud about that. Um, and we closed our funding round. So it took way too long, mm-hmm. uh, probably 12 months. Um, uh, we brought in a lot of very interesting and powerful people, and we are really happy with our investors. But the journey was was definitely something I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. So I had to dig deep <laughs> to get through that that experience. Yeah, a, a lot of people um, will say like it takes like six months. And if you can't get it done in six months, you can't get it done ever. Um, but like you're kind of living proof that if you persevere and you refine and you take the feedback that you have coming in to make something better, that it can work out. I'm curious, so like, how, like, how'd you hold the faith? You know, like, how'd you keep going when you're like, you know, surrounded by um, so much rejection? Cause that's like a really hard thing to combat. Yeah. I, I can, I don't have a shortcut answer for that question. Which is like uh, no out of the equation. Like you just, you, you knew that it would work. Like you knew that what you were building was significant. So like any hardship was just like, well, who cares? Like you, you can get through it. Yeah, I think it's a very good way of putting it. So when there's no other options, you know that how, how difficult that is, that's the single option you have and you just keep going. Um, it's good probably like there are certain elements that definitely helped me a lot. Like my partner was very supportive, um, co-founder, other employees, uh, support groups, other founders and so on. So we had these people around when, you know, things get really, really tough. Um, also, it wasn't like nothing happened and suddenly we had all the money together. No, it mm-hmm. was over time. There are yes, lots of no's, but you get some yeses as well and building towards the amount you want to you wanna raise. COVID was one of the examples where some of the investors said, oh, you know, we really wanted to invest, but now we have to focus on our portfolio companies, you know, to, mm-hmm. to float them during these difficult times. So that was a shock. We lost some people there and we had to replace them with others. But um, our original investors kept their faith in the company and made us good connections. And I think that shows that, you know, you, you during the fundraising, it's not only money. You, you really have to find the good investors that uh, that works for you it's, it's a very difficult journey anyway right mm-hmm. so you you should you should internalize that all those investors that comes on board part of the team you can put them on certain tasks and then they can deliver they are super connected people anyway and they raise money for through their portfolio companies so many times just use them as much as you can that's how we got our first couple of connections and then we build a certain quantum and then matched it with some grant funding and then went out more time, found some VC, some uh, banks and so on, all put all the money together. Uh, that's awesome. So like in some ways, the, the investors you bring in are, you know, they're, they're the team as well. Like I think um, sometimes, maybe this is, it could be a false impression, but people think like the team and the investors are separate and like the investors are just money. And um, that's not really utilizing them to their best value. Like, 
I don't, I don't know anyone who puts money into something who doesn't want to like see it successful and help it out in any way. So like, how did you, um, how did you assess the investors? I'm going to ask the same question about your team as well, but, um, <laughs> to know that they'd be great to work with. Yeah. I, I mean, first couple of investors we got, we, um, it's a small community mm. in the UK around Cambridge, London area. So you knew them from other, uh, other founders, right. Uh, or uh, through other investors. Mm. So the due diligence goes both ways in that sense. Um, in this round, we got some of the investors through our existing investors. So that was fine. And for others, we had a very long dating period, maybe six, nine months to get to know each other. Are we happy with each other's working relationship? Do they have deep enough pockets if we have to raise more money because biotech companies normally do? And then finally, we were looking for a, a final VC that could bring in a lot of expertise in AI mm -hmm. and that kind of narrowed them naturally to a few names. And then we went around and asked uh, if anybody else knows about them, worked with them, are they happy with them and so on. And all the references came back glowing. So we said, okay, let's go do it. But it's the mindset change that probably changed everything for me. I, um, I read that book called... Uh, how to pitch anything from Oren Clough. Uh, maybe it was your even recommendation. And I was always thinking that I was on the, uh, you know, the, the one who, who tries to get money rather than selling a big vision, like giving something. It's, mm -hmm. What we have is valuable, that mindset, that the money is out there. There is more than you can get. It's just... You shouldn't focus on money. You should focus on relationships. You, you should focus on strategic partners. You should focus on someone who buys into the idea and works as hard as you to get that idea turned into a reality. And I didn't have that mindset before. And maybe that's why the round took so long. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good mindset to have now, though. So it's like, it's, I think someone said like, um, wisdom is painful experience. <laughs> about three in my case <laughs> yeah um how do you um when it comes to your team when you have when you're hiring people when you're looking at people how do you know like what's your process for finding people who are equally competent in pipetting as they are in python as well as you know great culture fits yeah i mean checking for skills is not so difficult nowadays right yeah. um I, I think to check for the culture fit maybe it's a little bit more difficult. And uh, I mean, keep in mind that we have to hire three people um, during COVID period. They never met me or my co-founder in person. And then when, since they started the work, they are working from home. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do you know that actually somebody that you hire under these conditions will integrate in a small team that has to function 100% all the time? Um, well, we did a lot of um, Zoom interviews. I, I, I don't even call them interviews. It's more like conversations that you try to understand each other. You know, what makes you tick? Um, how do you ask questions? How comfortable you are with uncertainty, which we have lots of it, right? Um, how, how do you behave when things go bad, when things fail? Um, the what kind of values 
that are embedded in you as, a, as an individual. Like, do you take ownership for the work you do and for all the mistakes that goes with it? Um, do you need a lot of guidance along the way? Um, and so on and so forth. And for us, it was very clear that we needed people who knows their field better than we do, that yeah. they don't need any guidance at all, that just you need to point them at to a vision and then they just keep going. Mm-hmm. And people who values a lot of creativity and free space and support from other people when they need to. And as long as they were all checked, they said, yeah, fine, let's go with these people. And I think uncertainty is the big one, right? We say, look, we have only this much money for two years. We don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, this is our idea. We have a, some roadmap to get there. Oh, who knows? Like Things change every day. And we cannot say that we will put you on this project and it never changes. No, maybe it will change every week. And you have to do things that, that's unimaginable. Like we, we brought in a um, senior face display scientist right and in the first six months he couldn't do anything because of covid none of the instruments have been shipped so he was doing pretty much everyone everything procurement um all type of inventory management uh, setting up the office and the lab space picking the color of the carpet you know like it's a very broad set of uh, duties and uh, i mean he did an amazing job and i think that applies to all other parts as well and we try to set out that during the during the conversations it sounds like um one of the components to that being successful was how transparent you were a lot of places try to hide or obfuscate this is how much money we have left or this is how it's actually going to be like they try to almost like um like like sing it like a raise rainbow like you know in a startup everything's happier like you know whatever and then when people come in it's like oh what is this so i think it sounds like uh, for people listening, I just like made a shock face, but um, so it's, it sounds like one of the elements of your success was just being completely open and transparent. And then the people that you were talking with were, you know, felt that and then did the same back to you. Um, and so then when they, when they came in, everyone really, really understood each other. Mm, yeah, I think they definitely openness is a critical part of building that trusty relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, you know, we could hire some people, right? that would be a good fit um, in a more mature company. But we knew that, you know, we need some people are, which have a different risk profile, <laughs> risk appetite. And uh, we, you know, still are in touch with the other people that didn't, you know, pick the job or we didn't pick them, thinking that, yes, you know, we would definitely love to work with those people, but under different circumstances. So we just stay in touch and it's great. Once we do our Series A, for example, we know who to reach out and how to expand the team. Is there a, uh, an effective way to assess that risk tolerance? Like, how did you do it? Uh, we ask for examples. Hmm. If they've been in, a such, in such an environment before and how do you feel to be in a similar environment, even a more intensive one? And, uh, Lots of people did their PhDs, for example, and it's a long, a long journey, can be a very lonely journey. Uh, and again, the path to success is sometimes not clear because, you know, they have to produce something novel. Um, and a lot changes in four years' time and they find their voice, they go through a struggle, 
as some people think so i think yeah i have enough of this and for others they just you know energized by that so do um do you measure for i think this might be similar to being able to handle changing environments but grit like the ability to mm. persevere not just be, <laughs> yeah um at, at the end of our interview process, we have a um, scoring card that, you know, me and my co-founder, uh, as soon as the call finished, we, we call each other and then score that, uh, that conversation and how the person behaved on multiple different uh, fields, including grit. Um, then uh, I think we found out that maybe it's our screening or maybe because we already make it very clear that this is a very, very uncertain environment and this and that. Most of the people scored four or five on that front anyway. So we just took it out uh, mm. in the latest version of that interview sheet. Makes sense. The, um, okay. Just on like a high level, just to make sure for people listening, they could get like the full um, gamut of what your hiring process was like. What were like the, like the A, like what were the steps? Like people apply, ah. you know, interview one, what did you assess for interview two, et cetera? Just so that other people in get a sense of it. Yeah, so interview one, um, so we try to make the person welcome, introductions, explain how the process is going to work. It's normally 45 minutes over video, and mostly me and my co-founder. Uh, depends on the position, there will be always some, um, you know, cert sorry, we first start with HR questions. Uh, and even before that, we ask, what do they know about the company? Yeah, And I think it's always a good sign. And I say, look, let us know what you know about Antiverse. I don't want to bore you with a long monologue. And um, anything missing, I'm happy to fill the gaps. And I think there you can already filter out a lot of people. After that, and uh, I learned this trick from my previous employer, and I think it was working really useful, so we adapted that. After that, we ask a couple of HR questions, um, just trying to understand, uh, get a better feel about the person really and see, you know, the assessing all this stuff we're talking about, um, appetite for risk, grit and so on, uh, working without, you know, so much supervision. And after that, we ask a couple of technical questions uh, and we wrap up with some housekeeping, you know. Are they happy to work in a small team? What's the salary range they are looking for? And the benefits, we explain all of that stuff. And um, if both parties are happy, right, um, we then come send an email as soon as possible after that saying, okay, we would like to continue if you also want to do that. And um, the next interview is where we bring in the whole team. And because we are a small company, we can do that. So, um, it's similar to the first interview, but it's more open-ended. We pick one of the projects the candidates spend, you know, a lot of time on, and they go through the project. What were the difficulties with it? How they how they solved it, and so on. Um, it can be the you know the social elements of that project or the technical elements, and then we ask a couple of questions. It's very uh, uh, open, I think, uh, flow. And at the end of that session, we get the questions the candidate has. Um, if they are happy, then that's it. We just come together with the whole team, make a call, and finish the hiring. Sweet. The, um, so it's like a, a two-interview process. Have you, um, industrial organizational psychology, 
I think they proposed that one of the, an effective way to see how people will perform on a technical level is to give them something similar to what work would be like. Is, um, do you have something like that? Or is it, do you pick a project that is similar to what they'd be doing in-house to, mm. to like rough approximate a similar example of something so you can see the translation? Yeah. So, so my background is in software engineering and yeah. uh, electrical engineering, computer science, that kind of stuff. And I did that over 10 years. And yeah, I've seen that kind of interviews. And I appreciate the, I think, value of giving such tasks like homeworks or little projects that people have to do and showcase um, different elements of their coding skills and so on, right? Uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of those. I mean, it's good, good to check, and maybe it's in an easy thing to do. You know, person spends four hours and so on, shows you something that you can judge their technical skills to a certain extent. But we ask for uh, one or two core technologies where we ask for some, some expertise on like Python, for example, and TensorFlow. And the rest, the rest, we, we trust in the person's ability to learn whatever skill and technology necessary on the job. Like it's not something we can predict. It's a very quick moving space anyway. As long as they show that they are smart, they can, um, they can act without too much supervision, they are dedicated, uh, they know how to learn stuff. That, that's fine. Uh, Python is uh, Python and TensorFlow is on my my list for this uh, this winter. I have a <laughs> I, I want to do this. Um, there's this machine learning project that I've been wanting to do involving uh, beehives. And I've been gathering the data for a couple of years, so now I can actually like learn the necessary skills to like do the the the, the analysis of it. But uh, I think one of the things that we talked about that you uh, would love to see is like more people from the software engineering world getting into the biotechnology world. Um, so, you know, talking more about that, what are, um, is, is, you know, Python machine learning, um, a great, you know, like thing to learn and, and try out to get into the biotechnology field, or is there, are there particular, uh, software specialities that you think are particularly needed in the field? Um, I think it depends on what and what type of company they will work. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the standard technologies you get to learn in a bioinformatics course is the ones to go with at least. Like mm. Python is definitely one and different languages have their own packages. Um, you see R, TensorFlow, um, Perl, Python has been used a lot as well as many other technologies. I think that's not really the limiting factor. People just think that maybe software skills doesn't have a, a natural, um, it, it doesn't converge much this space with, bio, with deep biotechnology, but it does, it's more and more every day. Mm -hmm. uh, the opportunities are certainly out there. Unfortunately, I find at least in UK and many other countries, biotech to be, uh, a less uh, finance or backed industry comparing to, let's say, fintech. Mm -hmm. So a lot of software engineers naturally, um, they, they might, especially at the early career stage, go after 
<laughs> better financial returns, you know, uh, financial stability at least, and so on. And that's all good and fun, but you know, there are bigger problems to solve in this world. Um, also, and biotechnology, I think, is going to be the next uh, enabling industry for for that. And and we need more and more um, software engineers from all different disciplines to to come and expedite, accelerate that change. Um, there are a lot of courses online that yeah. people go and self-educate, so that's not even difficult anymore. No, it's mostly, easy. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is. I I think it's a uh, it's a mindset, right? People knowing or uh, being aware of that their skills apply and they can go and be a part of a journey where they can find discover drugs or design molecules that can change millions of people's of lives so yeah so i hope more people will hear out that that call and rise up to the challenge yeah um there's just there's always that good thing where it's like a lot of people see what is um now on the cusp and they're like, oh, I'm going to build that, you know, you know, work at SpaceX or whatever when they're first coming out. Um, but if you, if you look at, you know, the, what's coming next or the really exciting things in terms of like what can have the greatest impact on people's lives, the intersection of uh, software and biotechnology is really starting to meld together. And you're, you're at the, the forefront of that. Um, the, are there things that are there, is there software is there anything that you're currently working on and learning? Just on a personal level? <laughs> uh, there's a lot to catch up, to be honest with you. Uh, the field is moving so fast. Um, but if I, I'm learning more on the biology than on mm. the software side, to be honest. And uh, synthetic biology definitely uh, is so inspiring. And you see the applications that comes out of that. I don't have these green fingers, so when I do some experiments, most of the time they go wrong. But I'm I'm still super fascinated by, you know, ordering a CRISPR kit and trying to put some DNA into a new E. coli and see it shine or something like that. Um, yeah, if I get any chance, I try to learn more on the on the biology side when, about the technical stuff. But uh, as a as a first time CEO of a, of a startup. There are many other things that I think you have to catch up very quickly. So that takes precedent, uh, yeah, over other stuff. There, um, there's a good YouTube channel. I think it's called Thought Emporium, where the guy like he'll uh, make he'll take neurons and put it on like a, a a circuit and then have them like connect to each other and stuff. And he he'll show like he'll um, he like made spider silk from yeast. Like he, yeah. he like genetically engineered yeast to make spider silk. And he'll he'll literally go from him making the the CRISPR stuff and having it shipped to him to like walk through all of it. It's really cool. Um, so if you if you want to just like two times speed, listen to something on your walk or whatever, because he describes it all really really uh, vividly. Uh, that'd be that'd be a good resource. Um, yeah. The other so if when you when you are when you do find yourself getting backlogged, um, are there good are there places in particular that you go to to learn to to pick up the things that you you're um, I don't know, like the opposite of backlogged is unlogged to unlock the backlog. <laughs> where do you go to unlock the backlog? Uh, where do you go to learn new skills quickly or the new yeah. fields? 
Yeah, I get, I, I get more, um, you know, when you have all those things that you're, you uh, need to catch up on, it could be new skills. It could be, uh, you know, the latest advances and in, in skills that you already have, um, refreshers, that type of thing. Like, are there, are there places on the internet? Are there resources? Are there journals? Like if, if, if any of those aren't the way you do it, like, how do you do it? Um, I'm just curious, like, how do you go from like, uh, you know, a debt to getting, you know, back on the game in any area or how do you, how do you go about learning when you're trying to learn something new, that type of thing? Yeah, I think this doesn't apply to everyone, but for me, I learn from books and mm-hmm. nowadays it's, it's mostly from Audible, right? I get these audio books. I think the last thing you recommended for me was never split the difference. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, I kind of probably read the whole, or listened to the whole thing on my daily uh, trip to the market and back. Um, and uh, it's so powerful I find that very I mean you are walking right you are in a certain mindset you are not you know that much distracted you you are I think ready to consume any type of new information and then you can stop think a little bit about it continue it's also gives a good rest to your eyes as well Mm -hmm. so um, that's my go-to environment to consume new information yeah, uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. The first time I li- uh, consumed Never Split the Difference, the book, which I, everyone out there, uh, highly recommend, uh, but um, was audiobook uh, it was on my mm. walks as well. Um, so if, if you could think about like a, another startup founder, you know, like kind of where you were a couple of years ago and, um, and you can just think like, how would I give this to myself? But for someone who's a startup founder, you know, about to do a raise, build something, you know, software, whatever. Um, what are the books... Like, you know, I guess to rephrase the question a different way, like um, two years ago, we spoke, you have all this knowledge now, what would be the books that you'd give to yourself then to help yourself get through it faster? Yeah, I don't have to pitch anything for sure. Just especially for technical founders, just go read that. Uh, venture deals is good to know before mm-hmm. dealing with VCs. Brad um, Feld, right? Yeah. yeah. And um there are a couple of ones on the sales side i don't know for our businesses b2b so um let me think about uh, what was it challenging challenging customer you must know that book challenger sale challenger sale and then there's the second episode challenger customer i think Mm. those are good ones um never split the difference that's that's a huge one you know since i since i read that book and it's only probably two weeks uh, probably it paid its price over 10 times or more mm-hmm. it, it's great as a, a mental model um are, were there particular things in there just uh, you know it's like one book to to focus in on that you've pulled and applied to your life in particular oh so many times and some of the things i was already using i think those techniques without knowing them but mm-hmm. definitely i learned good stuff and there were a few uh, clogged deals. And to unclog them, uh, I sent out a few emails that sounded something like, um, you know, you try to get the people to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, it says uh, to, to give them some space, to create some boundaries, and they become comfortable. And then with that confidence, they can then consider okay i'm not being pushed let me analyze things 
and then they will eventually come to yes if it works for them. So I did that a couple of times, and um, for the for the cases where the conversation wasn't going any more any further, the book says use the converse use the um, the the syntax or the template. Uh, it seems or it sounds you are hesitant, you are disappointed that that conversation, right? So I'm trying to reach out to this guy time after time. I'm not getting any emails anymore. And I thought we were just hiring this deal. So I have no idea why there's radio silence. I said, okay, I'll send out one more email and then this is done. I said, oh, it seems like this is, this is not the right time for you to continue on this project, right? In 10 minutes, I got a reply saying that, no, 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 everything is all right. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> we'll do this thing together. Boom, perfect. And this happened four times on different deals. So obviously that's working. Um, I mean, the rest of the book is full of gems. So uh, I'm not business related. I don't know if we have a little bit more time, but um, uh, do we? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, keep going. Don't worry about it. Um, I stand a short-term accommodation right now. So, um, we had to go out or find a different accommodation or we could stay in the same place or we could just upgrade to a, a better apartment. You know, mm -hmm. they had like five layers and then uh, I said, okay, you know what? Maybe this is a good exercise for me to try these new skills. So I, I asked whether we could be upgraded to class higher and then they came back to the insane price, right? Uh, so their list price. So... Uh, I studied everything on that book. There's a one-pager negotiation document. I prepared my negotiation uh, one-pager. And then I, I give them an offer, which is under what we pay right now with our basic apartment. So what basically I'm saying, upgrade us to level, and I'm going to pay, pay you less than what I'm paying right now for this apartment. Same day, somebody came back, knocked the door, and said, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> wow there you go so that's awesome I'm yeah i'm super happy with that book oh that's great the, yeah i mean if you don't if you i mean if that's not a testimony of itself you know um for people listening out there you can get it there's no sponsorship here we just love the book yeah <laughs> uh yeah the book's great like it just uh it, it you know it's like everyone has such great intentions when they talk to each other but then no like you know at least in the in, in uh in america like no there's no like class for like interpersonal skills. <laughs> there's just like, there's just like aggressive people attacking each other. And they're like, you kind of like learn weird ways of talking. So it just, it teaches you and shows you how to have a conversation um, and learn things about people so you can get a mutually beneficial thing set up. Um, and the, the guy who wrote the book, he was an FBI person who literally had to talk down hostage negotiators. Like he couldn't give them anything. Like they're, everyone's getting arrested <laughs> at the end of that. But they went from, you know, I have a gun to someone's head to uh, whatever. And, Man, two levels up and, and you you save money. That's crazy. Uh, that's fantastic. The uh, seriously, congratulations. Uh, so I guess um, I don't know. Have you used it any other ways? I don't want to like continue on this point, but I'm just kind of curious. That's that's awesome. <laughs> no, but I'm definitely gonna try everything written on that document in every licensing agreement or you know whatever yeah. customer contract I have in forward. Sweet. Surely these things work. Yeah. All right, sweet. Uh, so then um, I have my, some fun, kind of like, I would call them rapid fire questions to wrap up. The, if you had the power, and you, you're kind of getting this power a little bit, I think, 
But if you had the power to completely eradicate one disease, wh- which one would you choose? It could be with your technology, you have the, a hand in eradicating a certain su- subset of cancer, or it could just be one that you hate and you get the, the button to delete it. Um, what would you delete? Yeah, I don't know how to <laughs> rationally answer that other than saying that the one that is probably the most difficult one to solve and that kills the most amount of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, personally, the, 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 jo- the reason why I started this journey was losing my fun my father to lung cancer mm-hmm. so i had to make a big probably i would start with that yeah and I, I think um one thing that people maybe listening don't know is like people think curing cancer there's just there's so there's so much of it right um which is what is probably particularly powerful about what you're building that you can kind of help out in so many different ways but um Yes. All right. Moving on to the next question. Cause you know, I, I, I but, uh, um, is there something you wish ever knew about you without you telling them? Come again. Is there something you wish people knew about you without you having to tell them? So like we meet for the first time, uh-huh. there's something you wish, you, you know, I knew about you, but you didn't have to tell me, you know, I don't know. That's an interesting one. Never thought about it. Um, Hmm. I'll pass that one. <laughs> what, what, what kind of answers do you get to that question? I'm wondering. Oh, uh, it's, a, it's a new question I've been asking. The, you're the first person. I'm guinea pigging you. I just wanted to see. <laughs> um, I totally blanked on that one. Um, I don't know. I don't have an, an-, uh, an answer for you right now. No worries. Um, what is a, a thing you were struggling with other than answering that question? Um, right now that people can help out with <laughs> they can start with that question yeah um other than that um let me see we are a uk-based company although our employees are all from all around the world um what we want to do we want to uh, move to us uh, either like opening a branch there um, getting closer with the pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies to try to help them out as much as we can. And also we want to open our next funding round to uh, investors from all around the world rather than just sticking to the UK or uh, Europe. I don't know if they can help us on, in any way on those topics, but uh, I would be very appreciative. So if and, they... oh, go ahead. And yeah, if they want to you know, get in touch with us, you know, about anything i'm happy to you know spend some time and help out sweet um so if if someone knows about locations to to build an office like if there's like a a deal or or something like they're yeah i think i'm talking to a lot of companies from uk as well who who kind of try to explore different regions and i think what works best whether you go to china or us and so on they they use this word maybe you're familiar with soft landing so they do not necessarily start with a big, you know, op- open up a new entity and then try everything all together, but they maybe join an accelerator program, build up a network, uh, get to know people, uh, set up the environment, and then maybe then set up an entity with maybe one sales guy and so on, and then try to build from that point. Okay. So are you um, looking for people who have experienced that, uh, people who are at accelerators that think, man, Murat would be great here? Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, if they know about any accelerators for newcomers to the US, mm-hmm. uh, any salespeople in biotech um, that are interested in what we do and want to get in touch, that would be good. Yeah. Is there a good spot to get in touch? Is just website, contact information there, Twitter, LinkedIn, I don't know. Um, where, where, do, where do you prefer people Mur- to? Murat at Antwerp.io. There you go. Right to the source. Just, just email them. Um, is there, uh, similarly, is there a question you wonder about that you don't have the answer to? So, uh, you know, it could literally be anything. It could be like, you know, why was Pluto downgraded to a Plutoid when it should be a planet, you know, anything that you want, but, um, that you wonder about or that you come back to often. Yeah. You know, I read a lot about this uh, H plus. Uh, maybe they call it transhumanism or posthumanism. Mm. Um, and there's this uh, escape velocity, right? And people say that, look, if you are under fifty right now, then you will live forever. <laughs> I, I would love to know more about that and see that happening. But um, yeah, it's like longevity in general, or like uh, transhumanism. I think it's transhumanism. It is not only living, I think, within this body, but see what we can turn into and how, what kind of new shapes we will take. If you could be, so like you're, you're familiar with like werewolves? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, if you could be any amalgam of human and other creature, what would you want? If you could transform into anything. So like you could be a werewolf, you could be a werewolf. That just to, as an answer, I would, I would pick werewolf because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Why is that hilarious? I don't like, know. Like, it's like, werewolf. It's like stupid. <laughs> it's like, you know, people are like, I want to be a werebearer or like turn into an eagle or something. I'm like, I- I'll just be a whale. But then um, I-, I live in the Midwest. There's no like, there's no like uh, ocean. So like I-, I transform into the one thing that like I can't go anywhere with it. So, like that's why it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, okay. If you're taking that angle, probably the uh, word sloth. Sloth? Yeah. So you, you, you want to be a creature that has uh, algae that grows on your in your fur <laughs> and you can just sit there and eat it? Yeah, can only eat from one tree, uh, poisonous leaves, but because it eats so slowly, it digests through without getting, you know, uh, having any disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I, li- I like the way how they um, found a new way to uh, you know, continue their existent- <laughs> existence without... Not through fighting, but just by being idle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The all right. So Murat, though the the worst love. <laughs> um, and they have a cute face. Yeah. The um, is the. They do have cute faces. The um, but um, have you ever seen like Zootopia? I don't know. This is like a, a quick aside, but I think you might enjoy the movie. There's like a sloth in it, and it's really funny. I recommend no, it. I should, I should it, go check that. Yeah, check it out. Zootopia. There's a there's a sloth scene. It's a, it's a bit murderous because <laughs> it's really slow, uh, but it's funny too. But um, is there a, so final question? And it could be kind of anything that uh, you want. But I'm curious if there's a quote, if there's a passage, if there's a thing that you you know everyone listening, if you could have them think about, what would you want people to think about? Hmm. There is something that that works for me. Um, 
and uh, we, we joke about that with my partner with my wife a lot uh, she says make it work right and it suddenly relaxes me so much and gives me so much confidence for for the ridiculous reason i think and i said yeah i'll make it work you know mm-hmm. whatever it takes uh, it's such a simple statement but uh, somehow resonates with me so much i think it has something to do with uh, the you you know this guy uh, who wrote a book about extreme ownership uh he's a he's a navy seal yeah yeah he, he has one on discipline as well he was on the tim ferris show i can picture mm-hmm. him he's a giant he's like a big burly man or like he just looks big he might be like two feet tall i don't know um it's, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like willick something he has a podcast Joko. Joko Ch- willick. Willick. yeah 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 so everything he says is i think all gold but this extreme ownership if i could pick anything that would be my my main value in life mm-hmm. and extreme ownership you know it sounds kind of sophisticated but for me the the layman version of it is make it work you know take the whole responsibility to make it happen awesome so everyone you know think about that and anything that you're struggling with right now and if, if it worked like if you make it work let us know because i mean that's you know when people give advice they like to see it come back and see that you know it landed well um but uh thanks Murat, for being on the show and everyone you know look at the show notes all the links to to Murat are going to be there and uh give feedback if you like this episode you know that type of thing and that was Murat uh from antiverse you know antiverse.io um i want to thank everybody for tuning in today it was a fantastic episode with Murat. it's always fun to listen and talk to him and we stay up to date on each other's lives all the time so it's it's kind of fun to just you know get a little window into what his life's been like for the last two years so if there's anything that you guys felt like i left on the floor something you want to learn about please let me know uh to his point on learning machine learning uh coursera has a bunch of options online for bioinformatics they're going all the time and they are free. I should think I might take one over the winter just because, you know, you're inside all the time. Might as well do something for fun. So if you guys do try out machine learning, if you do try and learn it, if you do try and pick up Python or any of these things, or you took something from this episode, please let me know. Um, it's lol at learningwithlol.com or just, you know, shoot me on Twitter. Uh, you'll see everything in the show notes. But that was Murat. We talked about a variety of things, hiring, his raise, you know, how he thinks about bringing people on the team, uh, machine learning, software engineering, getting into biotechnology. I actually really agree with that point. Uh, there's a lot of untapped potential there that many people are missing out on. Software engineers in biotechnology and even in other STEM fields such as agriculture is very underutilized. And most people are just in tech. But if you look at some of these other things, there's some really big po- potential to affect real world change out there. So I want to thank everyone again for coming out. Uh, this is Marat antiverse.io just google it or look in the show notes and uh please subscribe share do all these things and you'll see me around every tuesday you should get another one of these episodes if there's someone you want to hear on the show just message me and let me know happy to talk to pretty much anyone and i hope everyone has a good rest of your day thank you bye-bye